Hey, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have Peter Politis, who is the CEO of Greybrook Realty Partners. And when we first came across these guys, Peter and Sasha, you may have heard us interview Sasha on this podcast maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. When we heard about these guys at Greybrook and what they were doing, we thought it was almost too good to be true because they were partnering. Basically, you could invest with Greybrook. They would partner with some of the biggest developers in the greater Toronto area, and you basically would participate in the profits of some of these huge condo and subdivision developments in some of the best pockets of the city. So we must have met with them three or four times, quizzing them, and they were long meetings, and these guys put up with us. I have no idea why they put up with us, but they were kind enough to put up with all our questions because in real estate, we've just always been trained to be paranoid about where you put your money. But these guys, now that we've known them, I feel like it's been a decade. It's it's been a great partnership. We've uh, a lot of rock star clients of ours have invested with them with really good success. So we really just think the world of these two guys. Peter came on this podcast to talk about just the status of construction projects in the city in the COVID era. What's happening with construction? What's happening with some of the planning that's going on in Toronto? What are some of the trends they're seeing? What's going on in the greater Toronto area that they're seeing? We talked about outside of the Toronto area what they're doing in projects outside in the U.S. and how the, how those projects look, where they're seeing some of the opportunities in the city, and just in general, why real estate makes sense right now, what are some of the things to look at, some of the cost per square foot, foot, um, foot, stumbling over myself here, on some of their different projects. So just a good conversation with someone who is very knowledgeable on the subject. These guys are managing a lot of money with some of the biggest developers in the city. So the great thing about talking to Peter is you get insight from his conversations of, t- of talking with developers and bankers and the sales offices. So they're getting like instant feedback on what's happening in the real estate market. So always a good conversation. If you want to reach out to them, um, they're kind enough to give us allocation and to, to, uh, to Rockstar to get allocation into some of their investments, which they do not have a lack of demand for. So we're really grateful for that. If you want interest or you want more information on anything they're doing, you can use this email address. It's rockstar at graybrook.com. That's rockstar at graybrook.com. And you'll be connected with some of the guys on Peter's team and they can introduce you to some of the projects that are going on there. Um, And if you are listening to this and you want some real estate investing information for yourself to invest directly in different properties around the greater Toronto area, you can check out what we're doing at our latest training class at this URL, www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's a 90-minute class that Nick and I are doing virtually where we're breaking out what we're doing in different areas around the city. So for example, in the east side of the city, north of Toronto, west of Toronto, and hooking all around the Golden Horseshoe out to St. Catharines and Welland in the Niagara area, also into Woodstock in London, Ontario, up in the Guelph area, the Cambridge Kitchener, Waterloo area, Brantford, Ontario. So in all these different community, uh, com, um, communities, as well as in downtown Toronto itself and what we're doing with condos in the downtown uh, market. So if you want some of the latest real estate investment training for yourself with local Canadians and what we're doing as a group to invest in this area, you can come on to our latest training class and register for yourself at www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. 
Okay, we are live with Graybrook CEO, the CEO of Graybrook Realty Partners, Peter Politis. Did I say your last name right? I feel like I just messed it up. You got it right. Bang on. Oh, did I? Oh, great. Well, okay. It's a short, it's a short Greek name. So you can, yeah, I'm used to very long Greek it. name. You're yeah. a very unique Greek name. I feel like too many Greek people hoard vowels in the alphabet <laughs> and we should be, we should be generous and share them with other people of other, other, other cultures. Got it. There was, yeah, I can't even say, Nick, who lived in our street? Uh, street? street? I can't speak. I don't even know their last name. You know, I, I can't pronounce I his last name anymore. Theo but, and uh, Mike, I think were the- yeah, yeah, yeah. They had all the vowels. They had all the vowels. They were a great family. Selfish. They were a great family though. So Peter, I guess we're just going to jump in. Um, we wanted to get your take on the status of what you're seeing out in, I guess, Tor- maybe Toronto, um, the status of projects, construction projects, condo projects, development projects. We are July 2020 right now. What are you see like what do you see? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually been interesting because it's kind of like week to week in some cases things change, right? So like the second something's happening, something new is happening either opening or closing or some version of all that stuff. But you know, we've seen at least on the construction side of things, uh, the city, the municipalities, not just in Toronto but in the GTA have uh, a desire to essentially keep things going as much as possible, but doing it in a safe way. And what that really means is, is that construction has been deemed essential. We've been allowed to keep on going, but depending on the stage of construction, it's either been easier or harder to actually do. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, if I've got guys pouring a concrete into a hole versus, you know, eight construction workers needing to get into a hoist to get to the 25th floor of a building or five guys working in a room painting or drywalling a house, it's a lot different than pouring a foundation or digging trenches. So it's really been project by project, the speed at which things have continued uh, throughout some of this current uh, closures period. And then what about su- supply chain of material? Are you seeing any interruptions in, you know, cause I'm hearing my brother-in-law engineering company uh, works with, uh, does telecom projects and he's finding that just, there's a little break in the supply chain that's delaying his whole project. Are you seeing that or is that just minor? Um, we're not seeing a ton of that, to be honest with you. I think that the only thing that's actually been not so much a delay for us, cause kind of the scale at which we do things, we, if someone's going to get the supply, it'll probably be project of this size and scale, but we've seen some lumber costs actually materially increase due to supply and chain issues. Um, but outside of that, we haven't really, I see more of a function of getting people to come to work because they're not sure, they're nervous, they're scared. We're creating new, like we had protocols that didn't exist, you know, however many months ago that are now widespread throughout our site that are safety protocols, people, distancing, Matt, you name it, right? So it's real time, real time thinking. There's no, uh, we act, we actually didn't have a playbook left for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that about lumber. I'm convinced everyone's building a patio on all of Oakville. Nick, have you noticed all the lumber everywhere? If you go into oh, Home man. Depot, there's even a Home Depot. There's no lumber. I think everyone's building pool cabanas and patios because they've decided they're staying home and it's sure. affecting big projects. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody who said my pool business has. It's like exponentially bigger than it's ever been before. My, I think everyone, I know my brother-in-law is building a deck. My other, my other buddy's building a deck. I'm like, everyone had a great idea. Let's build a deck. I know a guy, one of the guys that I know, a landscaper, he's, or, and a pool company as well. He's booking the second half of next summer. That's what, so like this summer, he's like, oh yeah, that was long gone. 
And he goes, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, he goes, I think I'll be done booking next summer, the whole summer this year. Now I'm, I'm sure some of those people went back out, but he's like, I've never seen it like this before. Like, it's just like, it's insane. Right. It's like cottage country too. Same, same type of thing. Yeah. Well, listen, I think that it's kind of, this whole thing is about reexamining, you know, social trends, your life, where you're working from, where you're spending your time, where, you know, all those things are being, people are having, you know, employers and people are having discussions about that every day. And that, and that's what like change will come of this, right? Certain things will be different. It's kind of being like traveling after 9-11 to a certain extent, right? Can you like, imagine what travel is going to be like now after this? Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be fun yeah well, um okay so peter so then if that's how if projects seem to be uh progressing what are you seeing around any of the latest sales i'll tell you what we're seeing on the outskirts of the gta and the kind of the single yeah. family home market or the re income pro the rental home multiple offers we can't buy them people are trying to get properties like from st Catharines, welland all the way into durham nor aurelia so uh, all around the gta we, we are having trouble working with invest not trouble, but we are facing so just high demand. Rate. Yeah. It's just high, high demand, demand. high yeah. demand, low interest rates, high demand. Supply is not keeping up for sure. Yeah. And I know, I don't think any new big sales offices have opened for any projects right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but what yeah, have you dude, seen around sales? Yeah. So on the sales stuff, it's actually kind of, it's kind of funny. I'll give you a very short anecdotal story. There was a developer who ran into some trouble, had nothing to do with, COVID and they had a property and they had a few properties, but they have a specific property that was like a prime piece of land. Unfortunately went into receivership and I had 10 developers call me and were like, okay, you think we can get this for 50 cents on the dollar? I'm like, you're the ninth guy who's called me. Clearly the market is strong. The answer is no, you're going to have to pay, you know, a full market price on. It's the same thing with sales and the same thing with the, we have a real demand for housing and a real demand for rent. I understand things can ebb and flow. Sales can go up and down quarter to quarter. It can be a function of supply, demand, interest rates, but over the long period of time, there's a real demand. So we're actually seeing the same things that you guys are seeing in certain segments of the market. So the lower rise side has, was it's stronger now than it was pre-COVID, right? For life choices, investment views, interest rates, you know, where I want to live. Like there's different reasons for it, but the low rise housing market was due to pick up steam just because of the last few years that have been slower than probably real demand otherwise would have indicated because the market sentiment was low, but now you have real buyers and, and we've actually launched some low rise sites for, for sale. We've had great demand on them. We've had some of our competitors or our core developers on other sites that have nothing to do with us um, launch sales in the condo side done very strongly. We have a couple of condo launches uh, coming up imminently that, you know, we believe there's a lot of demand. We started literally as of like Friday, we started talking to the brokerage community on a new launch and lots of, lots of demand. So I think people believe in the long-term viability of Toronto, the GTA and other surrounding areas. And, you know, people are looking for this to be, can I get a deal out of it? But you guys said it, you know, you're going out there, there's multiple offers. I mean, there's a fixed amount of supply and the demand still currently exceeds the supply because it should, because there's a real need for this product and this housing. You know, something you guys always alluded to earlier, I think years ago when we first started talking to you was the, 
the the golden horseshoe with the green belt around it. Toronto was GTA was kind of like this little weird island situation. But then you also alluded to supply and the regulations around increasing supply because our immigration has been so strong for ten years, and we've had a shortage of supply to match the population growth. And I know immigration is going to slow down temporarily for this twelve months or eighteen months period, whatever. Do you see regulations getting any easier to develop or bring new supply to market? Because I know immigration, or I guess I don't know for certain, but I feel immigration will spring right back up because it's a core government policy to keep our immigration really high. Do you see housing supply regulations in the greater Toronto area easing up a little bit? Because I feel like that's been a, a real kind of headwind for, for development. Yeah, so, so two things. Immigration, you're for sure right. Whether it ebbs and flows in a 6, 12, or 18-month period, the government creates immigration trends and plans for 30 and 40 years out. Infrastructure, all this stuff gets tied to a much longer period of time. So that's they're going to achieve their immigration numbers at or above their targets. They always do. They find a way to do. It's key to the growth of the country as well. So like that, that to me is happening. On the supply side, I, I just don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon for so many, so many reasons. It, on the low rise side, even if they wanted to, how development actually happens, infrastructure, landowners groups that come, you can't just move the needle there quickly by waving a wand, even if you wanted to, right? Um, and, and that's something that if you made drastic changes today, you could probably start affecting supply five or six or seven years out. Like if you made them drastic changes today, which they're not doing. On the condo side, on the higher density side, I mean, that is something that takes so many levels of city, municipals, planning, traffic, wind studies, counselors, rate payers, all this stuff. Like I was talking to one of our, our investors the other day and I said, you know, we bought a property in October, 2011. And we bought it and got it from acquiring it to approval. That was like a somewhat contested uh, application in nine months. That's just how far we've come. It's now one and a half, two, two and a half, three years, depending on the type of zoning that you're, you're trying to achieve and get. And they're just not moving the needle there either. I mean, sometimes even if you go to LPAT, it takes 12 or 15 months to make a decision. We actually went to an LPAT, got a decision, and then the ratepayers appealed the LPAT decision and then ask them to re-rule. It took another three months and they did and we won again, right? So I don't think supply, it's, it's probably easier to change immigration than supply at this point in time. What about, this, what about the size of these units now that you're seeing? Like as these units get smaller, are there, are there, you know, are there concerns that it's like, hey guys, we can only kind of get these to a certain, a certain point? You know, we, we can't keep squeezing them smaller and smaller because I know some of the new, newer units are what, 300 and change, right? 375 maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah, with, yeah, some 300 With not even a full, a full kitchen. But I guess they're seeing demand for these. If the developers are still putting those in and they're, they're selling, they're seeing demand for these types of units anyways, right? I mean, there's, so there's for sure demand for these kinds of units. It is probably the closest thing that we're gonna have in this city to creating a, a large, a, a relatively larger supply of affordable housing because they're commercially viable for the developers. They're commercially viable for the investors who buy them and rent them out. And it allows a, a single person to live by themselves and it all be at a small place, but for relatively low total dollars. Excuse me. Bless you. Allergy season. 
Yeah, got and we won't it. make any okay. COVID jokes about that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. offside now. That's yeah. um, so okay. So, so, so that, that that's really the affordable aspect of these small units are why they're so desirable. It's the le- it's the lowest amount of total dollars out of somebody's pocket every month to live alone. See, it's right? funny because that's that's and that's what we see. Like there's the, the consistent downward trend in the, in the size because of affordability is one thing, and it's just it's you know. And then what we're also seeing is you see. So, especially in the Oakville area right now, there's been multiple kind of new storage units going up. People are like, wait, there's like a few different storage places going up. There's one close to, to our offices now. And I'm like, yeah, guys, as these places get smaller, this, it creates demand, increased demand for these other types of, you know, real, let's say if you call it real estate, but it's storage yes, units, yeah. but, but they don't have place, th- places to put their stuff. So there's increased demand for this type of stuff. So the trend, the trend line of those smaller spaces just really kind of changes a lot of, a lot of different dynamics around different things. But I, I think you're right long-term too. The, 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 the numbers are so far, out, so out of whack between supply demand. When, when we look at them over the last decade, just our kind of rudimentary numbers that we, we put together based on population increase versus new housing units coming on the market. It looked like there was about two and a half years worth of, and I guess we did this six months ago or whatever, but it looked like there, at that point, there was about two and a half years worth of building at the current pace that could still go on just to bring us back to kind of like an equal level to get the, the kind of numbers back based on the average number of starts versus housing formations over the last 10 years. Right. And that's, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird place that we're in. So we could have no population growth for two and a half years and still have demand for everything that comes on market. That was our little analysis. Do, do, do you guys know that this is like literally a recent stat as of the end of the second quarter, we had something like five and a half months of condo supply in the entire GTA. So if you didn't launch an entire new project and have the same absorption numbers in five and a half months, there wouldn't be one condo available for sale yeah, really? no, on the new construction side. Wow. Yeah. No, I didn't know yeah. that. So what, we all so, agree that the only way to provide real long-term housing for like the, the, the masses is, is high density, right? It's not, people aren't buying, not everyone's buying a, you know, 30, 36, 40 foot lot. That's 22 to 300, 3000 square foot homes. That's not, that's not moving the needle in terms of availability of, of housing. It's gotta be high density stuff. So aside from development, I guess, development prices, just yourself and your own viewpoint of the GTA economy, do you think we ever slow down real estate prices here? When interest rates, when the Bank of Canada is gonna give us five-year fixed rates at 1.99% or variable rates under 2%, we have a supply, you know, we have a slow growth in supply, demand continues to exist and ebb and flows like you were saying. Do prices just continue to go up? I know I'm asking you a bigger economic question sure. here, but I mean, we might, I'm sure you talk about this with Sasha and you guys all talk about, it's like, what Where does this end? Where yeah. does this end? Because we're going to continue to get this demand. Interest rates are going to continue to stay low. Toronto and Canada is going to be a destination with our healthcare and our education systems. I feel like we're in this weird situation where I just don't know if we have multiple families living together, more like in Europe, you know how multiple yeah. families will live together in one family house. Yeah. Is, is that something you see maybe evolving in Toronto? Like where do you see this headed in Toronto? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a long-term believer in Toronto, not because I live here, but because the fundamentals actually make, make it so, and all the things that you said about quality of quality of life, place to live, education, freedom, Freedom to be who you want to Banking be. All the things. Yeah, exactly. All the yeah. things that we actually probably take a lot more for granted around here than we should, considering a lot of places around the world, even places that we think have those may not be quite, may, may not be quite as open as we are as a country, right? Um, I think that in the long term, prices are going to continue to go up. You can have 
sentiment, pandemic shocks, government regulations that might make prices ebb and flow. We saw it with the Fair Housing Act of 2017 for low-rise housing, and we're seeing it come back you know, to where it was because there's real demand for it over the long term. Um, but I think that you're going to run into an affordability thing at some point where I may want to live in Toronto, but it's like, you know, I can't afford to pay X dollars for rent. So I just can't come there. And they might go start going to other places. Right. I don't know what that point is. I don't think we're anywhere close to that point, particularly because Toronto is doing a good job of creating new skilled labor jobs. Like if we were doing low tech, non, you know, lower income type job creation, I think I'd have a different view of the city. Um, but listen, there's, we like to think of Toronto in the context of Canada. In the context of the world, we're actually quite cheap. And if the global currency is US dollars, which it is for everyone who's not Canadian, like you're in China, if you're in Russia, if you're in the US, take 35% off, 30% off our prices. And then look at the prices relative to other cities around the world. And you're like, we're actually still really cheap. I know it feels expensive. Like I used, I stopped, I stopped making this joke, but it used to be only Torontonians who think that Toronto real estate's expensive, right? Like when I started 16, 17 years ago, it was like, someone would tell me, if you can't buy a four bedroom, three bath house and a driveway as a regular family, it won't work. It's over. It's, it's, over. Over. <laughs> it's broken. broken. And, and you're seeing that change and you're actually also seeing the desires change of where people spend their money. I'm seeing a lot more people decide, I'm just going to rent, I'm going to be more mobile and I'm going to live here and I'm going to move there and I'm going to spend money on trips or experiences or other things, but I still have to live somewhere, right? And that's really the key is whether I own every condo in Toronto or it's owned by 6 million individual people, there's a requirement for these people to actually live somewhere. And, and, and that's, I think, particularly in the GTA, I mean, we're really lucky to have such an amazing city to draw people to. Right. We really are. Yeah. And something we're seeing just to give you some perspective is we used to rent out a, a, a rental home in Hamilton, for example, one home, $1,800. This is maybe five years ago. Not even now we're renting the same home, turning it into a legal duplex, renting the top for 1900, hundred more <laughs> than the whole house and the bottom for 1600. So the same property that would generate $1,800 in gross income is now getting like 33, 34, $3,500. It's, it's crazy. That's amazing. Right? Well, it's, it's, and it's for affordability to your point, what you were saying, it's affordability. They can't, you know, they can't, uh, they, they don't want to go up to the $2,300 mark or whatever. So they're living in, in smaller spaces. So in this case, it's no different than what, what you guys are doing in the high rise sector. Right? Yeah. I mean, listen, the truth is, is that people have a certain amount of money they can spend every month. I know they want the most possible space, but they just need a space that they can live in and be comfortable in for themselves, for their families, for whatever. And not everyone is sitting there saying, I either want to rent that top floor in Hamilton or buy that $50 million penthouse in Yorkville. Like not everyone is making the two choices. It's I have a functional amount of money. My job and my life is here and I need to house myself, myself and my spouse or family or whatever it is. And that's what they, and that's what they do. Yeah. What about any other trends you guys are seeing on the high rise side? Like at one point I started reading, I don't know if it really, I don't think it's gotten much traction, but that there was going to some developers were going to look at creating not like larger units, but larger is relative, but just more bedroom units. So that it can house more of a family unit in the high rise sector versus so many, you know, single, single plus 10 or that type of stuff. Sure. Are, are you guys, is that something that you think the developers are looking at and see a trend for? Or you think the, the, the larger housing that, you know, the larger families are still looking at low rise options. The problem is, 
is there's a fundamental disconnection between the way high-rise buildings are financed and doing what you just said in terms of more family-oriented units. In order for me to start construction, I typically have to sell 70, 75, 80% of a high-rise, right? And there's only so many kinds of people who are choosing where they're going to live three, four, five years out. If I need a place to live and I'm a family, I don't need it for five years from now or four years from now. I need it for now, next month, 90 days, six months, something reasonable to plan my life. So what you typically are seeing is someone selling 75 or 80% of a building geared towards investors. And when, when, a, when a building registers, typically 70 or 80% of a building is investors. And you look at it five years later, and it's actually done a 180. It's now 70 or 80% end users, and 20 or 30% of the investors are still left that are holding it. So like buildings have life cycles in unto themselves. And it makes it, if I wanted to do a, a building with 100% appropriately sized family units, three bedrooms, the problem is unless I get an investor to buy into that, I'm never going to put a shovel on the ground. I'm never going to build it, right? The banks require me to do all that stuff. And, and, and that's really the fundamental disconnect. In the U.S., they don't usually pre-sell. They'll get it by a piece of land, they'll put a shovel on the ground, they'll start building it, and they'll sell it You know, when it's closer to completion. It's a different market, risk factors, all those things. It's fundamentally not how our, our market is set up. So I know that people want more three bedrooms. I hear you. But I have to actually build these things or else I'm not providing any supply of housing. Yeah, that's a good point. I never really looked at it like that. They want, you know, if the family's looking to move, they're not looking to move in four years because they don't have the kids yet. Once the kids come, they want a house in the next 60 days, right? So how's yeah. that transition happening? The investors are buying it. Then you're saying once it's done, some investors are selling it. Yeah. Selling, okay. One, two, three. Yeah, five years. I mean, no, I've had this investment for 10 years. I'm going to sell it, yeah, buy okay. something else. The person who's buying it is now not buying it for an investor. They're buying it saying, I want to live there. So it's transitioning from an investor's hands, renting, coming usually out of the rental stock and someone is actually buying it and calling it their home, right? So these, these, these buildings over time move towards end user product from investor and the rental stock actually goes down in some of these buildings. Okay, you alluded to kind of how Toronto's viewed internationally. Are you seeing any kind of changes on that? Some people have never heard you speak before, Peter, so they probably haven't heard you talk about how Toronto's looked upon internationally. Are you seeing any changes or is it still looked upon from different countries in Asia? You mentioned Russia early, earlier. You know, these countries are still, families are still moving in here, looking at it as an investment destination as well as a place to live. I, I think the biggest thing about Toronto is that for a long time, it was a world-class city. Whether we, we thought higher of it than, than the world maybe at different points in time is an argument. But the thing that's really transitioned in Toronto is after 2008, 2009, shining on Canada's banking system. And then as Canada itself in Toronto became bigger, some of these larger institutions and pensions and organizations have actually put it on the radar because they can invest an amount of money that's meaningful to them now. 20 years ago, try to Got have it. Blackstone come in and deploy $2 billion to buy value-add apartments. They would have bought every apartment and it would have been impossible to deploy an amount of money that moves the needle, right? Like you're a uh, you know, Fortune 500 international development firm. You're not going to come in here to invest $10 million. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so that's happening a lot more. And as things happen, we, we continue to have our stability shown, our banking system and all these things. And, and now people are they're saying, yeah, I can actually create a team and a strategy to invest in Canada because I can deploy an amount of money, which again, they're 
deploying in, in U.S. dollars in their mind, that makes it worthwhile. And, and you're still and and you're seeing that actively, obviously. There, like, it's easy. It's it's interesting for us because we've seen some of the biggest real estate investment firms, companies, and funds recently deploy material amounts of money in Toronto. Like we've seen them looking around for long periods of time, but actually deploying it. We're seeing international developers have come in now and bought property, set up shop here, development organizations, like real like listed companies from China, not private you know, Asian investor, but like, I'm an entity, I have 50 or 100 people here. And I have multi like Concord ADEX is a great example. You know, they came from Vancouver, they're of, uh, of Asian or, or, or from Asia originally. And now they have, you know, multiple sites, and they've built 20, 30 buildings in the GTA, they have a presence here. And there and, and there's a business line that exists here, because we're big enough to do it. It's funny, about two years ago, we started telling the investors that we work with, we're like, if you're local, you have 10 years, there's a 10 year window to buy properties in all of the GTA. After that, it's going to be so expensive that you're going to be priced. So get what you can get right now. And I know everyone thinks, oh, you guys are real estate brokerage. You're just like trying to sell me property. I'm like, no, you don't understand with the population trends and how Toronto's viewed and then our health, everything that you've just been saying. And as we are as a country and a people here based, built on immigration, that this is our moment right now. And I still strongly believe that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's, it's kind of weird because if you ask anybody at any point in time in the last 15 years and they were buying something, it felt some version of expensive, right? So I always say it felt expensive then it's, it is cheap now. And you said, oh, if I had, I should have bought all those things like, okay, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, And the answer is if you believe in all the things that we're talking about, which is Toronto growing as a city, as a place, like this is just, the future is going to be just like the, the, the what are what are you guys seeing around Toronto? So I know you you did a, a couple projects now in Oshawa. I know you've been you know having some dabblings in some Hamilton stuff that's early on. What outside of Toronto proper? What do you see? How do you see the Golden Horseshoe evolving? Any thoughts on that, or any like locations that pique your interest, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean we have properties. You know we have a dozen developments in Durham, uh, going east, starting from the east and going west, and. Curtis, Bowmanville, Oshawa, Whitby, you name it. You know, we go north to uh, Colgan and Tottenham and west to uh, Hamilton, Cambridge, Fergus, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo. I mean, Oakville. We Each one of these municipalities offers something different. And if you really are a family that wants space, you're going to have to look, for the most part, unless you're – you know, very wealthy or other things, you're going to have to look for ground related housing uh, in those areas that we're talking about. Right. And that is, I think the expansion of suburbs and the only place for affordability to actually exist for those people to actually own, whether it's homes, townhomes or, or ground related product. So we, we have a long standing belief in the, G, the kind of the greater golden horseshoe area. We bought, we bought uh, 350 acres of land in partnership with Tribute Communities in Sarbara and Fergus in 2011. Oh, and wow. First of all, I didn't know where Fergus was in 2011. Fergus is a nice spot. Yeah. Fergus, yeah, <laughs> Fergus is a, the bustling metropolis of Fergus in 2011. And literally some people looked at me like I had three heads. And I'm like, no, but cost, affordability, whatever. So now fast forward. Just on the other side of the green belt there? 
Yeah, so fast forward today, we bought the land for $25,000 an acre. It's like $600 a lot or something stupid like that. And we have 1,100 homes. We're about to complete our first phase. And the first phase of all this has, is going to give us back more than 100% of what we invested in the entire deal, right? And then for the next however many years as we continue selling houses, it's going to be like an annuity. I think that what people don't understand is you need to look forward. If you're only looking at the places that are happening now, like look at you guys. What was Hamilton thought about eight years ago? Oh my gosh. We were calling our friends from Toronto, telling them about Hamilton. They were, they were going to slap us in the face. <laughs> and, and, and now look at today. It's oh. like unbelievable, right? So people need to have some foresight or at least know the people who can explain to them where it's going to, because that's the other thing. The weird thing about real estate is that everyone's an expert. If they have bought a house or rented a unit or had a friend or my brother's a real estate, something like that, like everyone's an expert in, in real estate in their minds. Right. And I think that you really need to get hooked up with the right people to give kind of the right folks at the right time to make sure that you're seeing the opportunities in the future, not only running to the party after it's all over. Totally. And, it, and it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a big game, right? Like we always, we're always short-term paranoid with real estate, long-term optimistic. We're always looking where we can lose, where, how's the bank of Canada going to screw us? How's the bank going to screw us? Like, how's ever, how, how is the zoning going to screw us? Where are we getting screwed basically at all <laughs> times, but long-term we're very optimistic. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the same with you guys. You're, you're probably short term, always wondering what's happening, but long term, you know how it's going to play out. And that's how it like, listen, we, we are doing stuff now in Welland, Ontario, Welland, Port Coburn. If you told Nick and I 10 years ago that we would be, we thought going to Hamilton was crazy. Like we grew up in Mississauga. So going to Hamilton already, we thought we uh, were the was, rebels. It was the edge of the earth to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's I'm like Hamilton. Who goes all the way out here? I used to have a friend that would go see his family in Hamilton from the East side of Mississauga regularly. I'm like, and I was like, you go all the way out there, there like on a weekly basis to see family? That seems crazy to me. We, we were buying some properties when we started, when we quit our jobs to start this in Burlington. And then Nick and I said, okay, you explore more of Burlington. I'll go to this area called the Hamilton Mountain. And I drove up there. I started driving around and I'm like, these are nice communities. There's parks, there's schools. I called Nick. I'm like, there is this nice place up here. It's called, I think it's called the Hamilton Mountain. You know, it was like 20 minutes from where we were. We just like, we were clueless. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that whole area. We're looking at stuff in Welland as we speak. Like literally. Yeah, are you? As we speak in terms of opportunity. Like I always joke that if it was developed, we'd have nothing to do. Yeah. Right? yeah. If, you, if, if you went there and saw this beautiful building that was done and finished and there was not a single thing to do. I, I mean, it's just, it's, there's nothing for us to do and make money on and add value to. And, and, and that's, that's part of the foresight that's involved in, in, in buying in different areas, right? I, and I tell everyone, I said, if you want the treasure map, just look at where the GO train stations are going down. Just yeah. look at the GO train extension of the, look at what Metrolinx is doing. If you really doubt us, if you're, if you're sure. not a believer in us, when you get outside of Toronto, just look at where they're developing the highways 407 East and West and the GO train station. That's like a treasure map for real estate because you know, yeah. people are going to aggregate around some of these spots. Something else I wanted to ask you was banking. Are you seeing any changes in the bank's willingness to fund any of your development projects, any banking things that are, you know, banking requirements that are changing right now? I think we're very, we're very fortunate because we sit in a, in a, in a privileged spot to have a lot going on with a lot of banks and a lot of the major developers who have strong balance sheets. So the banks have, you know, we've, we've gotten four or five projects, like literally construction financing in the last like 90 days. 
uh, during this whole okay. period. I do think it's getting harder for some people. Not that it's not guarded, gotten more onerous for us, like more questions, more comments, more of those things. Um, we're seeing the banks increase their spreads a little bit in the sense of like, you used to get a construction loan for prime plus one, but they want it to be prime plus one and a quarter because prime came down so much, right? So they want to protect themselves. Or they're saying, listen, we'll give you the prime plus one or whatever, but I'm going to put a floor rate in case something happens tomorrow and they, you know that comes down. I can't, I can't afford for it to come down. So we're seeing them be a little more cognizant uh, of that. We're seeing the value of our relationships happen. But on on the mortgage side, I mean, has there ever been a better time to get a residential mortgage? Like, ever? Like, ever? We're pretty close. We're pretty, we're pretty close. We once had a mortgage at um, one point three five percent interest. It was like prime minus. I think it was two thousand and seven or eight, right around the financial crisis there. But we're pretty close to like right there. We have we have some people, yeah, with a one point six five percent variable rate mortgage. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. But and I think that is something that is should be seen as an opportunity like not to over leverage not to extend yourself not sure. to do anything that you know if the world changes a problem but this is one of the times when if you can lock in cheap funds i mean there's not it's 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 wise to do so like you know even whether it's your principal residence whether it's whatever i always joke around that you know it's all your money so what you're paying for and what you're working for you just it's, it's always a cost benefit analysis why why would i pay off that mortgage if i can get it for 1.6% I should be able to do better than 1.6%. And if I can't, then something's wrong. And you're likely playing back with cheaper dollars tomorrow, the way the world's headed anyway. So cheaper dollars tomorrow to pay these already cheap dollars today. It's, it's, a, it's a good time to be holding some hard goods. Nick, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I want to yeah. circle. I was just going to say, well, go ahead. Did you want to say something? Well, I was going to ask you guys something, but you go, go. I was curious about the shared living, the shared living trend that we were seeing kind of start up a little bit more, more frequently. I think in the States, it was getting more popular. I think it had started in some smaller scales around in the Toronto area. Um, and for anyone that's not familiar with it, it's like where you're basically, I guess it's like a, it's like, like a, a, it's a, yeah, you run by that. It's like almost like a dorm for, for, for kind of, you know, professionals. Right. And then there's a lot of shared community space downstairs and that type of stuff. Are you see, is that still like something you guys are seeing demand for? Like are developers contemplating that type of stuff still? I will tell you, we're doing a ton of that in the U S like we have like $3 billion of, and it's not all um, rent by bedroom. I would say it's like, 30, 35% of the building is rent by bedroom and they have their own bathroom, their own loft. They have a common area and it's cleaned, you know, twice a month by the building and different stuff. It goes back to affordability in major cities. I can rent a bedroom and a bathroom uh, and I'm not worried about getting four guys to sign a lease. And I'm worried if one of them leaves, and it's my responsibility. Sure. It's like, it's the highest demand product we have in our buildings in the U S but there's one bit of difference in the U.S. versus Canada. We have a lot more flexible, at least in the, in, in the GTA area, we have a lot more flexibility in how we build these buildings. And, and what that really means is I can create these large common areas. I can have amenity-rich stuff, gyms, lobby. It's, it's density is not so hard to come by in some of these cities where it's so prohibitively expensive for me to do a widespread uh, 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 common areas from gym because if you're doing that kind of programming, you have to be able to live inside and outside of your unit. I don't just live in my bedroom. I don't just live in my shared living room. 
I live in the 17 different common area spaces that we have. I have the oversized gym that I don't need an Equinox uh, membership for. I have the whiskey tasting. I have the room. Billiards, multiple pool decks, barbecue. Like, if you can't create that living, I don't know how, how, how sustainable it is for people to continuously live in small space after small confined space. And density is so hard to come by here that it's hard to create as much common area to have that kind of lifestyle experience. What are the, doesn't the, but even if you guys were able to get it, doesn't it, the offset, because you got to use all that extra square footage for all those common spaces, it's great, but then doesn't it offset the, in, in the pricing, I guess, like, you know, because that, that square footage is being used, no one's paying for it, it's being split up, divided amongst the people that are buying the small units, but I guess they don't care, they're paying a roughly the same amount of square foot price, per square foot price they would pay for a larger unit, but be, they're just paying it from like, like a room, essentially, and then they're using the amenities, so they're fine with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's when you get into the, is it economically viable to actually build this kind of thing? And I have X percent of my, of my square footage that I can generate revenue from. I have, why is my cost for everything? And where does that all fit in? And it's harder to make it make sense in the GTA than it is uh, in other places in the U.S. is the, okay. the truth. I, I was going to ask you guys, like, so it's so competitive out there to buying stuff. What's the sentiment? from people in terms of like, okay, I'm the sixth offer on this place. I want to walk away, feel defeated, or I want to beat those other six people or like, oh my God, I'm just going to wait. And then they get scared because they see it. They miss five or six of these. They're like, okay, now I can't wait anymore. I got to get in there. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's all of what, it's all of what you just said. Yeah. You know what? It's so much, it's what you, to go back to what you said earlier with some investors we've worked for, for with, with for 10 years, when they see the prices now, they think, oh my gosh, I'm not, I used to buy a fully detached home, well, well you know, in Oshawa or Barrie for 220,000. And, and now when they see it for 500,000, they're like, you know, with, with 10 offers on it, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Someone's getting ripped off here and it's not going to be me. Sure. You know, so their context is, but newer investors, they're hesitant to get in, but then when they lose a few, then they kind of see like, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm going to have to get aggressive to get in here. So it's kind of weird. It's, it's all over the map. Yeah. And people, some people, and get, some people will get defeated, defeated yeah. after a number of them. They'll be like, man, you know what? It's, it's too stressful for them. They're like, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. Sure. But then other people get pissed or competitive. And they're like, I'm going to get this damn one. And then, because sure. you know what? Some of them are able to, and it's hard, especially for a new investor. So I get it. But some of them are able to look forward and be like, you know, this extra 20 grand that I'm paying now, and even though emotionally it feels like, why the hell do I have to give the extra 20 grand? Yeah. They're looking out, if they're like, if they plan on holding on to this thing for 10 years, what's the grants in the grand scheme of things? That's two grand a year. The tenant's paying off that two grand. So if they're able to get their head around that aspect of it and remove emotion, they're okay with it. But it's the emotion. I think it's just really the emotional side that different people deal with that different ways, right? It, it works the same way. I always joke about the, the, the benefit and the hindrance of perspective. I was totally. talking to a very large real estate family. And I won't mention the name, but everybody would know at least the last name uh, of the family. And they were telling me the story over dinner. And they're like, you know, when, when land got to $100,000 an acre, we're like, this, this is a cra crazy, it. Yeah. crazy. And then it got to $200,000 an acre and we were selling it and we thought we were fleecing people. And then it got to $500,000 an acre. We were actually wondering, we should pack our bags and see they should come back and get us after we sold them the property, right? And you sit this and you see this thing going for two, three, four, five million dollars. Like, come on, low rise land. Forget about, you know, $70 million for 15,000 square feet of the downtown core property, right? So it's, 
it's funny when you have the perspective of a long period of time investing in this market, because if you don't look at everything with fresh eyes today and say, I'm making a decision to understand all the fundamentals today, if you're doing it just based off of the past, it's going to be really hard to transact. And frankly, that's not where your money's not made 10 years ago. Like even if you've owned it for 10 years, people don't realize if you're not selling, you're making a decision to buy essentially today. Right. So that's a really interesting concept that we focus on a lot of our guys. It's well, you bought something in this area and you were selling it like we, Liberty village is an example. When the first property that we bought in Liberty village, we were like, I wonder if we could get $365 a square foot for this property. If we could get 306, we will be the smartest guys in the world. They're going to write books about us. Maybe a statue. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Right. And, and we've done six buildings now and like over 2000 units. And the last building that we, that we were selling units at was at oh, like $1,150 a foot. All right. And by the way, we're not talking, we're talking about from like 2007 till, till now. Right. There's still no statues built of you. This is a problem. Someone's missing out here. We are building oh, a statue. Yeah. The statue started. Right, we're going to start it of Peter before Sasha. Job. We want to start it, but we'll start it of Peter just so we can tell Sasha, hey, Peter's statue started. Yeah, listen, Sasha, we're going to change.org or whatever. We're going to make this happen. <laughs> but I, I think like that's the interesting thing is that if you think to yourself, well, I now, it now costs me more money and hard costs to build something that I was selling something for when I started in this business then you'll just never, you'll never transact. You have to look at everything independently with the fundamentals, use the resources that you have and trust in order to make qualified buy decisions. Yeah, day, it's funny. Right? I want to ask you just a couple more questions, but, uh, but that on the fundamentals, it's why we spend so much time with, with our investors talking about not just the fundamentals of Canada, Toronto, and the population immigration and land and development costs. We talk about debt loads that the countries around the world are carrying and what central banks are going to have to do to continue this game going forward and how they're not going to be able to raise interest rates and the effect that has on hard assets in areas that have the proper fundamentals. So yeah. we try to come at it from this bigger view, which I know sounds crazy. A lot of people who first meet us, they're like, you guys are coming insane, from like this global yeah. macroeconomic I just, picture. I just want to buy a property. Yeah, like you just, shut up yeah, just tell me, is it like Barry or Durham? Like where am, I, where, where am I buying? But we're trying to tell people, hey, listen, this is beyond real estate. You want to get some good, hard, especially income producing assets because going forward income, we feel is going to be the unicorn. That going For sure. forward, when interest rates are being pressed down, I talked to a guy who runs a big fund here in Toronto, uh, Canada, a big pension fund that I won't mention the name of. And I was explaining to him the cash flow numbers we're able to get in some of the properties that we're buying on, around Toronto. He said, look, if we are with our fund, if we could go in and buy on a mass what yeah. you guys are doing, we totally would. We yeah. just don't have the infrastructure to buy homes. And I tell all our investors, this is our opportunity. We are playing between some of the big developers and some of the small, tiny guys, if we could play in the middle there, no one else is playing there. And the individual investor, whether it's buying a condo in Toronto or a rental property out in Fergus, let's say, there are opportunities here that the big guys can't really play in that you can take advantage of. So when you see a big developer building out in Fergus, it's going to be good for that developer, but it might also be good for you to pick up a good hard asset that you could rent out because of what's going on in the world. And I know I'm getting way off track here. No, but, but I mean, you, you just essentially explained the whole premise behind when we started this business on the development side. 
It's got how it. can yeah. you as a person go buy a $10, 20 $100 million piece of land, execute it, and get a bank loan, do all this stuff, and make a return like you're the biggest developers in the city on the parts of the large economies of scale. Like we're an access point. It's no, you're, you, you, our, our story is the exact same, except the big guys do do what we do, and we just compete and play in that space with them. But I'm letting you as the person compete with them instead of needing a billion dollars to complete with, compete with them. Peter, and that's what great books have been so cool. Yeah, totally. You guys Peter, have been but great. Just on that point for what, for the people that haven't, have never heard of great book. Can you give a kind of, 30 yeah, we probably should do that. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. So <laughs> what is this great book thing? I actually run a limousine business. I don't even know. Yeah, why yeah, I'm talking yeah. about real estate. Um, you know, I, I think the simplest way of putting what we do is, you know, we're a real estate private equity firm that focuses on development-based investment opportunities. So whether that means, you know, we're buying a piece of land, and I, I always make this distinction that, you know, we're equity investors, not debt investors. So we don't lend money to anybody, but we're co-owners of property with some of the largest developers in the country. We buy pieces of land uh, on a project-by-project -project basis, so our investors get to choose the developer project location they're invested in. And we develop homes, townhomes, condominiums, and in some cases, commercial developments. And we're really manufacturers of product. And that's what I tell everybody. It's, we're not the consumer of the product at the end of the day. We buy raw materials, we build it, we make a manufacturing margin, we sell it and we move on. And there's a finality to what we do. I mean, the hardest thing about whether it's investing and that could be stocks or it could be real estate is deciding when to sell something. And we really take that out of the equation by saying, once we've built and sold it and completed, we take our money and move on. I mean, we've been involved in 80 developments across the GTA, the ones that are are finished other than having built them we have nothing to do with them financially anymore so we create a, a beginning a middle and an end to real estate investing for our guys and and the names uh, yeah the names of the bill i don't know if you're going to name some of the builders but everybody yeah, in Toronto sure. knows some of the builders that you deal yeah, with. i mean we work with tribute communities we work with fernbrook homes or treasure hill or citizen or fieldgate i mean you name it we work with some of the biggest developers and i think that's the other thing is we have the biggest and the best with the largest balance sheets going to work for us every day. I mean, our goal is how do you get the people that don't need your money to be your partner? And that's, in our case, is to add value. And they see us not just as a partner with them to buy to deploy capital because every one of these guys have partners. They all, people don't realize this since the beginning of time, you know, land development's been very expensive and all these big guys have had partners their whole lives. And when they see a partner that can bring capital and expertise, which we have, I mean, we co-manage these developments with them day to day. And we help execute on behalf of our investors every day. I mean, today we're at over $15 billion in development right now. That's crazy. Uh, every day is a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before, uh, before we let you go, what about outside of Toronto? Are you still, uh, you know, I know Florida was a big opportunity for you. Are you still Florida anywhere else? Or is Florida your focus outside of Toronto? Yeah, I mean, we have, we've identified, so the stuff that we do in the U.S. outside of a, uh, Waldorf Astoria condo residences that we're doing in South Florida is predominantly we're building rental buildings, we're leasing them up and we're selling them as income properties to REITs, pension plans, sovereign wealth organizations. And we do that in major US cities, 30, 35% of it is typically like rent by bedroom and the rest is like smaller, more affordable geared stuff. But, you know, we started in South Florida, whether it's Fort Lauderdale uh, in Miami, but we've been looking through Atlanta, Austin and Denver, um, Jacksonville and a couple other places. So we've identified a handful of cities where we think that that type of affordable stock in the city core uh, meets the demographic that we're looking at, cities that are growing and 
population and, and, and high tech jobs. And it's a role, it's a national strategy in the US. Our partner has done these developments in, in San Francisco, they're in Phoenix, they're in Orlando, uh, I said Chicago, like they're in various cities doing this. So it's a rollout in major US cities for us. Um, and frankly, it's a complementary product. You know, we don't do a lot of single family or, or low rise housing development in the, in, in the US. It's a bit of a different market. What about across Canada? Are you guys doing anything else in other parts of Canada? So we, on the development side, no. And that's by strategy. I mean, they're, they're not that you can't make money developing in other places, but from a scale, infrastructure, value add standpoint, we, we like the GTA. But the apartments? Uh, yeah, but we have value add apartments that we buy old apartment buildings and we renovate them. You know, we have over 2,000 units in Montreal, Ottawa, Quebec City, Gatineau, uh, in those places where, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple thing. You buy an old apartment building that hasn't been renovated for a long time. We do windows, balconies, common areas, elevator, in-house suites. And as people move out, we, we increase the rent and eventually sell them to whether REIT or insurance company or other people for income. Because like you guys said, you know, income is going to be the unicorn in the future. It's going to be very hard to achieve any of it. And frankly, I've already seen it. We've already seen it a lot. Think about what kind of cap rate and return you were getting on your money five years ago. Yeah. Ten, ten years ago, it seems like nine lifetimes ago in the oh. cap rate space. Five years ago, you'd look at the cap rates and think this is insane. They're too low. My brother-in-law was going to buy a building in Oakville. And I joke about this all the time with him. And, we, and the cap rate back then, Nick and I couldn't buy it back then. Nick, this was like 2008, nine, And the cap rate, I think was like, I want to say it was like six, six percent, something like that. And I remember looking at it, he was like, oh, geez, that's, you know, what, no, forget it. On that cap rate in Oakville, that thing went up. Nick, remember we, yeah, we, the banker, like so, yeah, it went up a million dollars. The banker like who was going to do the deal emailed me and said, tell your brother-in-law he left in about two, yeah, year and a half, he left a million dollars on the table. And the, I think, uh, yeah. I didn't want to email him. I just looked at Tom, like, that doesn't why didn't seem we like a wise yeah. move for us. <laughs> we're barely surviving. We were barely, so we were barely being, maybe able to pay our little closet rent that we had there. <laughs> my, so my dad, who he's, you know, Greek immigrant, so we only know how to buy land and make subs. And, you know, he, in 2000, he wanted to buy um, a property. It was a, it was a very small plaza in like Scarborough, like kind of Kingston Road out east, right? And I don't remember the exact amount, maybe like $700,000, which was like an immense amount of money like back then. And literally they were arguing, arguing, and the guy, my dad's like, I will not pay lower than an eight cap. It's, it's, I will never, not in my like that. At that point, I'm just stupid. And literally actually the guy, my, 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 the guy's like, okay, make you a deal. I'll sell it to you for your price, but you got to give me your car. And then literally, I, like my dad, I'm in university at the time in 2000, and I was living downtown, and he calls me. He's like, uh, can you come pick me up? Uh, I made a deal. I, bought, <laughs> I, bought, I, bought, I don't have a car. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, 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 you know, it was – and literally, they were arguing over it being an 8-cap or a 7.95 Like, it wasn't even an expensive car. It was just whatever, right? Uh, and, and it's funny how, how, like, now today, try to find out for a 4-cap, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Um. Peter, thank you. Nick, I don't know if you had any questions. No, I think thank we're you. good. Thank you for doing this. You can Google up Greybook Realty Partners. We actually have an email address set up with you that'll get to two different good guys on your team at rockstar at graybrook.com. Um, is the URL, is there, the, is there a preferred URL to go to to check you guys out? Yeah, I think just graybrook.com. 
graybrook.com or um i think it's i I think it's still dylan and darcy that are managing that rockstar at graybrook.com you guys have been kind enough to give us some allocation into some of your projects we're very grateful some rockstar members have now gotten access to some of the uh builds that you guys are doing some of the friends and family stuff so we're really grateful we're grateful that you got you and sasha put up with us when we asked you a million questions at the beginning so we're very thankful we're slow to get started with somebody we don't trust anyone listen a very poor job explaining it it's not you guys it's him i mean we i, I feel like we met much. with you like three or four it probably wasn't three or four i just feel like we were like we gotta ask these guys one and then you moved at one point i think and we went back and we looked around we're like there's no furniture here we got hustled happened to these guys <laughs> meanwhile you moved right down into yorkville downtown and stuff so uh, anyway it's been fun to see your success your continued success and it's been fun to like just be cheering you on from the sidelines so even though we don't talk all the time peter we're we've told you this before we're big fans of you guys anything we can do to promote and share the graybrook message we want to thank you for doing this we really appreciate it appreciate that it's definitely feeling is mutual to get to work with guys that are like-minded and are fun to work with and frankly if you're unhappy with uh dylan or darcy just let us know we'll get rid of them we don't need those guys we'll get you work like we work i see that's how it's yeah it's been a good connection we have the same philosophies <laughs> awesome really thanks peter you guys thank, thank you. you take care Hey everyone, so hopefully you enjoyed that episode. If you want to reach out to Graybrook for more information on their development projects, you can use this URL, rockstar at graybrook.com. That's rockstar at graybrook.com. Thanks for listening. To register for one of our training classes, you can always go to www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for now. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>